dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Without a doubt, the life of St. Paul is one of the best places to study leadership in the New Testament. Not only is his life an example of leadership, but in his first and second letters to Timothy, St. Paul exposes his heart. He writes to his beloved son, Timothy, whom he has formed in the faith, a letter of encouragement to go all the way to the end in the demands of leading God's people. His letter gives us many wonderful insights, especially in how to rekindle the fire. So I'm very excited about this uh, particular series with you because I want to take you into God's holy word as a place where we hear God himself teaching us about leadership. You're here because you want to become better leaders. You want to learn how to lead your families. You want to learn how to lead your businesses in the name of Christ. And where else would we look if it's not in God's holy word? Because obviously here in the Bible, we're supposed to find all wisdom And we know that the Bible is God-inspired, God-breathed, and so that his holy word is infallible and possesses all of the wisdom that God wants us to know for our salvation. So whenever we have questions like this, we need to get the instinct of going to God's word to find that insight that we're looking for. And we all know what we're in need of. We're in need of how do I lead effectively, courageously, winsomely in my culture today? And the stakes couldn't be higher. I mean, if we don't lead, someone else will. This is not a neutral culture where we can simply coast and expect that the influence we want to leave in the world will effectively be given just by our example and our presence. No, you have to become intentional because the marketing in our world today and the accessibility of marketing and everyone's phone and everyone's brain at every second of the day has transformed cultural war. I mean, in the sense that a free market economy makes for a free culture economy. And that means that whoever wants to be the person inside of your children's brains, inside of your employees' brains, running your business for, they will. Whoever wants to have the microphone can have it today, which means that you can't just expect that everything will go the way that you want it to just because you're in charge. In fact, on the contrary, you have to learn how to hone the influence that you want to give, to create that culture that you want in your company, to make your business serve the ends that you believe God put it in your hands to make it serve. And of course, that has the same influence goes right down to your family and into your your country and your city and all of the areas that you want to influence. If we don't win the microphone, if we don't win the right to stand on the stage, someone else will. And that means that we need to turn to God's word to say, okay, God, how do you want me to do this? Because if I just look at the outside and try to imitate what other people are doing in leadership, I'm not necessarily going to be giving God's leadership or doing it in the way that he wants us to. We can, in other words, be like King David facing Goliath and be tempted to use the armor of Saul 
putting on Saul's weapons, Saul's armor, even though it's not how we're supposed to fight. And just like King David, who refused that armor and then went at Goliath with a sling because that was how God wanted him to glorify him, we too have to go about the leadership required in our culture today and try to win the day using God's methods. All right, so where do we find those? Obviously, we turn to his Bible. And here we find an amazing two letters that St. Paul wrote to St. Timothy. And St. Timothy was a young man whom Paul had met by originally getting to know his mother. And we're going to find here in the first chapter also his grandmother. And on his very first missionary journey, and he picks him up on his second missionary journey, and he basically trains St. Timothy to be the leader of the church after him. So there's many people that he trains. St. Titus is another one. And, you know, and you've got other figures that St. Paul had a huge impact on. But we have these two letters that he wrote specifically to Timothy. And the second letter to Timothy, many exegetes today, many Bible scholars think this is the last letter that St. Paul wrote. Odds are he wrote it while sitting in prison in Rome shortly before being executed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And so when you think this is the last letter of St. Paul, you can understand some of the emotion that's in it and some of the real evocative imagery that Paul uses as he passes on his legacy as a leader for Jesus Christ to the leaders that follow after him. Now, obviously, the leadership that St. Paul exerted over the church was a religious one. He was a priest. He was a bishop of the Catholic Church. And he's writing to St. Timothy, who was a bishop of the Catholic Church. But what he says, you can apply in your homes. Every baptized person can apply this. Because the spirit of the leadership transcends the type of leadership that Paul exerted. He's teaching Timothy what it takes as a human being to run the race, to fight the fight, to do what God is asking him to do. And I think this is really important because for many of us, our Christianity is very weak. We, we act like Christianity is a nice set of good feelings that we can have when we're having a bad time. And we don't understand really why God puts us through so many trials or allows us to go through so many trials. We say to ourselves, there must be something wrong either with God or something wrong with this proposition of faith because my faith is supposed to make me happy. It's supposed to keep me from going through hard times. It's supposed to be the guarantee that life is easy. And it can really surprise us when we read the Bible and we find St. Paul exhorting Timothy and exhorting us through Timothy to be strong in our faith and to endure trials with perseverance. Leading in the grace of Christ, in other words, is not something you can do just as a spectator. It's something that will grip you, will command areas of your life, will cost you a great deal. And you've gotta be ready to give what it's going to cost. Following Jesus, in other words, is not cheap. It's something that we have to invest everything that we are and have into. And that's why it makes it so great. I mean, do we really want a love that's not a real love? Do we really want to live a life which being soft or seemingly soft actually keeps us from giving, from sacrificing, from fighting for something that commands and takes our creativity and our energy? I think there's nothing greater in life than love. And there's nothing more true about love than sacrifice. 
And St. Paul puts his finger right on it. And he says, St. Timothy, if you're going to lead God's people, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to be ready for. It's not that God's going to do it without you. St. Augustine said it so beautifully. The God who made you without you will not redeem you without you. Meaning that the God who made us and never asked us for permission before he made us refuses to let us be a mere spectator when it comes to living out our faith. Faith is something that's personal. Something that, in other words, defines who you are by calling you to give who you are. When people say that they're not engaged in their faith and they don't understand what role or importance faith has, you can understand why. It's because they haven't really accepted it into their bones. Let's remember that Jesus says, if anyone would follow him, me, let him pick up his cross and follow me. There's nothing more real than what you lose for God. Well, this is very analogous to when we talk about leadership. Because this is why St. Paul's writing to St. Timothy can be applied to us who are running our businesses and working in the professional world in our modern American culture. Because even though we might be doing different things on the outside, it's the same spirit that animates us on the inside. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. All right, everybody, open up 2 Timothy chapter 1 and let's read what St. Paul writes to Timothy, whom he calls his beloved child. He begins with words of great tenderness. He says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now the emphasis here is on the word sincere. In Greek, it's anipokritos. Uh, that, and that's a beautiful word because it means without any pretense. It's meaning your faith is not phony. It's not something that you put on, on the outside. It's without showiness, but it's there. So when he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, he's saying it's a faith that goes right to the heart of who you are, right? So if we're going to lead in our world today, let's first ask ourselves the question of whether or not our faith is sincere. I mean, I'm going to lead. I can lead the world in a worldly way, but if I'm going to lead the world in a godly way, is God really at the center of my act of leadership? Or am I just putting on my religion on the outside? Make a pretense. It's like wearing a shirt that says, I love Jesus. But in my heart, I don't really love him. I just wear a shirt on the outside that says, I love Jesus. But I think all of us know that this is just not going to work. If you try to be phony about your faith today, people will see right through you. And so we can't really make the impact that we're supposed to make, that we really want to make, unless our faith becomes sincere. And this is what St. Paul compliments. It's that with you, Timothy, your faith is as, as a part of who you are. It's as real as you are. And that's why you're going to be a great leader. And he goes on in verse 6, and he says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What a powerful phrase. 
In Greek, it is anazopreo, which is a combination of two words. Ana, which means again, and then zopreo, which is literally the remains of a fire or embers. And so it's to bring back the fire. That's literally what it means. It, so you could say it's to kindle afresh, right? To, to start over again, to, to resuscitate, to kindle anew, to rekindle. But the idea here is he's speaking deliberately about fire. And he's saying that you need to get the fire going again inside of you. What an amazing insight from St. Paul. Would you ever think that the Bible would have to talk about the inner fire that burns in your belly? Right? But in a sense, in a very real sense, this is what keeps you going. And God knows this. You can speak all you'd like about the humility of the saints, about the littleness of the saints, and you'd be absolutely right. But the thing about the littleness and humility of a saint is that it's linked to greatness. The humbler that we are before God, the bolder that we are in front of the world. And the smaller that we are in front of God's plan, the more creative, innovative, and driven that we are in front of the world. That my relationship with God, which is one of humility and absolute abnegation, becomes one of leadership with respect to the world. Otherwise, it's false. When one disappears into God, one is equipped to stand strong and boldly in the presence of the world. Now, it's according to each one's dispensation. Some are not. Some are supposed to be a little bit hidden in this world, etc., but not in their hearts. In their hearts, we are lions because we have been released with the Holy Spirit of God and to not cower in front of any culture, any political ramification, any unjust law that could be thrown at us. And that being said, you are called to be leaders. That's why God has put you in the positions of power and influence that you have in your professional career. You are doctors, you are lawyers, you are teachers, you are running manufacturing facilities, you're rolling out HR policies. You're not amongst those that are simply hidden. You will play a role of influence in our world. And for that, you need to stir into flame, to rekindle, to let burn again the gift of God which is in you through your baptism. Now, the Greek word for gift means, is, is literally charisma. It's this charism that he has given to you through the Holy Spirit that's part and parcel of who you are in your identity. You need to stir it up. I can't, in other words, approach my profession and my business as if I wasn't a member of the body of Jesus Christ given to that business in order to glorify God thereby and to better the world as a service on behalf of God to help lift up my fellow human beings. This is the gift that he's given me and I'm going to use it for him. And St. Paul starts off right away by saying to St. Timothy, you need to stir that up into flame. You can't allow those embers to simply go out. But the faith that your mother had, the faith that your grandmother had, St. Timothy, and that they passed on to you, the faith that I preach to you, I, St. Paul, needs to be in you, your mission, your past and your roots become your itinerary for the future because this is what you've been given. You've been given the good deposit of faith and I'm asking you to stir it into flame. I think this is really exciting because so many people today wonder why be Catholic? Why follow Jesus Christ? What difference does Jesus actually make? And I, I, it's, it's indicative of a world that's post-Christian. 
that said, you know, we've tried this Christian thing and it really, it might be fine for some people, but I don't see the impact it makes for my life. Would you be willing just to imagine with me for a few moments here, the power that St. Paul is laying out here. He's saying that God has given a gift for leadership to you and that if you choose, you can rekindle, fan into flame again, that very gift of leadership and it will summon you to dare great things for Christ. Dare great things in this world. In other words, our religion is not some sort of spirituality that's there to soothe our emotional difficulties. Our religion is much more profound than that. It lays hold of all of the capacities that we have for change. And that means imaginative capacities. That means endurance capacities. That means celebratory capacities, communicative capacities, all the humanity that will actually make change happen in this world needs to be laid at the service of Christ and given to him voluntarily by his followers so that Christ can then, by his Holy Spirit, send forth that humanity for the betterment of the world. This is such an amazing vision. Our religion, in other words, summons us to lead. It summons us to be creative. It summons us to be great. And then people think, well, maybe, maybe I can find something else that will summon me to be great. And I'll be like, well, yes, some other things can summon you to be great, but they'll summon you to be great for your own sake. And once you do that, you're actually less great because the human being wasn't made in order to satisfy ourselves. We're actually made in order to give ourselves as a gift and as an act of service to others. It is by pardoning that we are pardoned, by dying that we are born to eternal life. It is by giving that we receive. This is the, the fundamental law of what, and this is what makes the Christian vision so compelling for our world because it corresponds to the deepest aspects of the, of the human identity and gives us the highest definition for greatness. God, in other words, doesn't take anything away from what makes human life excellent. Instead, he pushes it to a whole new level. And that's the most thrilling and exciting message that's part of the good news we proclaim to our world today. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So I want to look here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, particularly at verse 7. Here St. Paul speaks right to Timothy and he says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, why does he say this to St. Timothy? Well, obviously, because when you have to lead, the very first thing you have to do is overcome your fear. When you need to speak in public or when you need to have a, a difficult conversation or when you need to put a lesson plan together, my goodness, it takes a lot of courage. The easiest thing to say is the change that I want to make that's deep inside my heart is not as powerful as the forces that will resist it. And so therefore, instead of exposing myself to needless risk or to failure, 
I'm simply going to withdraw. I'm going to bow down and not do the things that I need to do, not follow the voice of Christ to lead. I'm going to be afraid instead. Well, in, in the Greek, the word that St. Paul uses in 2 Timothy 1, chapter 7, here it, for fear is a, a great word. It's deilias. Deilias literally means cowardice. It's not just any kind of fear, like phobia. A phobia, ah, that can be good, that can be bad. You know, it's different. So it's good and have to have a healthy kind of fear. There is no way to use the word delias in any kind of positive sense. So Paul is using a cowardly, intimidated tepidity in order to describe the anti-spirit of the leader that he's calling Timothy to be. Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of cowardice. He did not give you a spirit of temerity. I mean, folks, that's such a liberating message for each one of us. Because this means that when we speak of the spirit of God, we should not speak of the spirit of fear. And, and when we look at our decisions and the fear that can dominate them, obviously not the healthy phobia, fear that can sometimes be good, but the spirit that says that somehow or other, the others on the outside are bigger and stronger and can take away what is essential to my happiness. And therefore I fear them. This is temerity. This is cowardice. And this is not the spirit of God. Whenever you see that spirit or feel that spirit, you can know that it is not from God because St. Paul right here puts it for us in God's holy word. God has not given us the spirit of deilias, of cowardice or of temerity. God has given us instead a spirit of power. That spirit of power, dunameos in Greek. It's the same word that we have for dynamite. The word dynamite is spelled the same basis in Greek as this word, which means power. So literally, we've been given a spirit of power. The, 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 the power that we need, the strength that we need, the inner toughness that we need has been given to us by God. This is why Christians ought to be playing offense much more than playing defense, moving boldly in this world to move this world for God. This is why God wants you to lead and wants you to be in positions of influence. It's so that you lead and have influence through them. I mean, it's a simple message, but it comes right here from what he's writing to St. Timothy. Remember that the spirit that you've been given by God is a spirit of power, a spirit of love, the word in Greek is agape, and then a spirit of self-control, a spirit of mastering yourself. And this is so wonderful because those three adjectives, power, love, and self-control, are the three adjectives that describe a Christian leader. Power, in other words, the Christian leader is there in order to effectuate change in the name of God. And we're not afraid that God won't supply for us. And in other words, the thing that, that, that's really missing for, ch for change in leadership, it's not God's power, it's our courage. And this is why he says to St. Timothy, stir up the fire, stir up the fire of courage, stir up the fire of belief deep down in your soul, 
because God is a God who gives us the power to effectuate the change that we are willing to dare to make for him. Now, I'm not saying everything that we do succeeds. There's a lot of failure that's written, but we always succeed when we try, meaning on the inside. The love and the glory that we give to our God by trying to effectuate the change and by standing boldly in the, in, in the face of the world. Yes, you might get martyred. You might be wiped off the page of history, but you won't be written out of the book of life. The second adjective that Paul gives is agape, meaning we've been given a spirit of love. And as you might know, there are three types of words for love in the New Testament. There's eros, there's philia, and there's agape. And agape is the kind of love that's applied to God. It's the love of total self-giving. So you have this spirit of power, and then you have this spirit of love, meaning that in the heart of the Christian leader, there's the spirit that says, I have my leadership and I am bearing my influence as a gift. It's a part of my gift to you. I mean, our world needs this so badly. Our workplace needs this so badly. When the other message that's being given out there is that you're supposed to claim everything you can from this life and just do it all for yourself. It's a spirit of greed and lust and destructive force. And we're not of those. This is not the leadership that God wants us to give. God has given us a leadership spirit of love, meaning that everything that we do is a gift from ourselves to you to better you and lift you up. What an amazing uh, insight that this is and why it's so important that you lead as Christians and not put your Christian faith at the door. Because when you don't exercise your leadership as a Christian, that spirit of love, of agape that's been given isn't then exercised properly for the world. And then finally, of self-control, meaning to formulate everything that we have to put everything that we have down and, and channel it behind that spirit of self-gift and of love that's at the service of the influence and the change that we're trying to bring to bear in our world. This is a time, in other words, where St. Paul is calling upon Timothy to raise up the spirit of leadership inside of him and to let loose those gifts that God has given him. And I think he's saying the same to you. What are we so afraid of? Why are we so neutral? Why do we hold back the gift of God stirred into flame? Be not afraid of anything in this world. When the love of Christ has us, he brings us to a whole new level of self-gift. And this world needs this message. Power is not made for you. Power is made as an act of service so that by it you can help everyone lift up and come to a higher level. And that's what it means to lead in the name of Christ. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.